Today's episode is sponsored by By Heart, which is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. In our house, we never skim on family time together on the weekends. Instead of racing around crazy, we prioritize time at home, time to relax, time to do fun, crazy things that we wouldn't have ordinarily. And you know who else doesn't skim? By heart. By heart is the only American-made infant formula with globally sourced ingredients to use organic, grass-fed whole milk without a drop of skim. Whole milk is full of healthy fats like naturally occurring MFGM, which play an important role in baby's brain development and growth. Are you curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with codename Zibby20 for a limited time. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Com and definitely check out those shows as well. I hope you'll all check out the all-new Zibby Mag, Z-I-B-B-Y-M-A-G, the literary lifestyle destination with essays, book news, a lit lifestyle feature, and even some classes. Check it out, zibbymag.com. Tembi Locke is the author of From Scratch, a memoir of love, Sicily, and finding home. She's a New York Times bestselling author, TV producer, actor, and screenwriter, and has a passion for connecting with an audience both on the page and on the screen. Her memoir from scratch was a 2019 Reese's Book Club pick and a New York Times bestseller. Alongside her sister Attica and Hello Sunshine, she adapted the book as a limited series for Netflix, which releases today, October 21st, 2022. And I have to say, I was lucky enough to get an advanced screener of the entire series. And I watched the first few episodes with my little guys, which was probably not appropriate, but whatever, they loved it. And I laughed and I cried and I just loved it. And then I read the book and I completely fell in love with Tembi. And she is now my new favorite person, which I told her basically. So anyway, Tembi, by the way, is an accomplished actor with over 60 film and television credits, most recently recurring on Never Have I Ever. Offscreen, Tembi is a nationally recognized speaker for her keynotes on resilience, loss, and motherhood. Her TEDx talk has been viewed by individuals and nonprofits worldwide. Through her work, she aims to inspire people to embrace resilience, love, and the power of community. Welcome, Tembi. Thank you so much for coming on Moms in No Time to Read Books to discuss your beautiful, amazing memoir from scratch. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Zibby. It's so wonderful to be here with you today. I feel so privileged that I got to see an advanced screener of your Netflix show, which I 
screener of it? Oh I my did. Gosh. It's so good. Oh, thank <laughs> it's you. So amazing. And thank I have you. to say, I was watching it. I probably shouldn't have been doing this, but I was like, guys, I need the TV. We're gonna watch this. <laughs> Turn off like Nikki Ricky, whatever they're watching. <laughs> so I had my seven and nine-year-old watch with me, and I was like, I'm taking you to Florence. And then every so often there would be a racy scene, and I would have to like lunge and jump on top of them. <laughs> and at one point, my daughter's like, wait, but why is he taking out for underwear? And I was like, moving on. I don't know. Maybe she peed in her pants. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's that. That's a part of life too. <laughs> happening. I get it. I've been the mom and my daughter actually, you know, has seen previewed most of the series as well. And she's like, I can't with that scene. Can you turn that off? Can you go forward? I can't. So it's so good though. Are you happy with it? It's so good. I'm, I'm very, I'm very honored. And I feel, um, I'm so proud of, of all the collective work we did together to make this show happen. Oh it's my just gosh. Beautiful. The performances are beautiful. Our team of producers is amazing. So I, I just am just honored beyond imagination. And was it amazing to work with your sister? Yes. Yes. <laughs> that is the icing on the cake. That's the cake. That's all of it. I mean, who would have ever imagined in a lifetime to collaborate with your sister in such a deeply personal way around such deeply personal material, and then just to sort of elevate each other. It's amazing. I I did notice she has a much bigger role in the in the movie that in the in the series than she does in the book. And I was thinking to myself, well, that's interesting since she's like writing this or producing it or whatever. <laughs> wrote herself a bigger role there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we certainly wanted to in the series explore one of the wonderful things about adapting a book, whether it be fiction or nonfiction, whether you are adapting it yourself or another team of people is adapting it, is the ability to sort of the, the an adaptation can be hopefully in ours is when it's at its best is it's additive to the original material which is to say that it does not dislodge or disrupt or take away from the the original material the original source material is always the original source material yeah and and this is like an extended conversation i mean celeste ing calls says it best when she said it's like a cover of my book. You're doing a cover of my book. Uh-huh. You know, that's, that's like the way she- A cover album. Like a, yeah, a cover yeah. album. A cover album of a book. That's the way she described Little Fires Everywhere, right? Where you are pulling forward themes that are maybe in one brief paragraph in a book, but in a series, especially a limited series, you can build that out. You can let the audience explore that. So we certainly wanted to do that with a lot of the relationships in the book that are maybe, you know, we don't, I don't spend a lot of time writing about them in the book just to give you context for, you know, sort of my first person experience, but on screen, we get to go there. Yeah. I loved the scene. I actually haven't stopped thinking about it. How, when Lido is in LA and he's at the thing, when he makes that beautiful Thanksgiving dinner and all of those amazing looking dishes and the peppers and all of that. And then when Amy's family comes and they just like quietly put it on the side. And then he has to say, you know, where I come from, we believe in using the freshest ingredients, like right from the ground and not things that are, you know, and then eating it right away and all of this. And and they're looking at him like, no, yeah, not so much. You know, like, let's go back to the mac and cheese and the, the turkey and whatever. Well, the, tur- the prepared turkey that they slapped down on the table um, and how he was saying also, you know, in like in Italy, like we walk, you know, in Sicily and in Florence, like we walk after the meal. That's just what we do. Um, and all these things, and you keep hearing, why are it 
people in Europe, like some, why do they not, why don't they have obesity problems as much and all of the stuff? And then you're like, well, look at our supermarket as you show him like walking through in this like desert wasteland of packaged products, right? <laughs> I found that just fascinating as I make my own food choices. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, having been married to a chef who is the son of farmers, who was the son of farmers, who had a completely different relationship with nature, food, and what it means to have a life around the table. Completely, he introduced me to a whole other world. I did not have that growing up. I grew up, you know, in Houston, Texas. <laughs> we definitely had Stouffer's meals in front of the Love Boat or TV or whatever was on at the time, right? Love the Love Boat. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. They're probably rebooting it, I think, in some way. But anyway, the point is, it was sort of, you know, being his partner, riding, you know, side saddle shotgun with him for all the years of our relationship and marriage gifted me a whole new perspective onto things. And when we, you know, when I really, when I was writing the book and reflecting on both who he was and what he taught me, but also the relationship with my mother-in-law, which is a big part of the book, Yes, yes. you know, seeing what she also taught me and the sort of holding those two people, big people in my life side by side. And they're both two love stories. There's the love story with Sato and there's the love story with my mother-in-law. So food is a big part of that. And then of course, you know, I definitely have my, you know, my commentary on like the American sort of <laughs> approach to things because we are sort of, we're sort of fast and quick and, and full of all the, the preservatives to make it sort of last. And I think that is not the point. Yes. Yeah. It's not supposed to be fast. It's not supposed to last. <laughs> you know, it's supposed to be fresh and 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 densely nutritious and and regenerative and nourishing and soothing and all those things. So, my husband is Italian. Also, he's not from Italy, but his family is from Italy, and he's a chef—not a chef professionally, but he went to culinary school. He cooks for us all the time, and I feel like he used to love it so much. And then we had the pandemic where he had to make us every meal. You know, oh like, gosh, I'm nonstop. sorry for him. I know. And he's like, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't do it. There's like, he's like, food is an expression for me. It's it's an art. It's, you know, I love to make people happy. And he's like, and the kids just like look at it and they're like, eh, no. no, what, what else, no. you know, what else you got over there? <laughs> but it's oh true that gosh. there's, I, I could see some of that in watching the show and your descriptions in the book and like how much pride can go into making a meal and feeding someone else and just not having it be a means to an end. Yeah. It is not a pass through. It's not a pass through to get to the next activity you have to do. If you choose to embark on it in that way. And by the way, that doesn't mean no one can have a three hour meal every day. That's not, that's, that's not what we're saying, but it is a kind of taking a pause and just with intentionality, like settling. Yeah you know, ritualizing the settling to go on to the next thing. It's something that I learned that I still, you know, with, without Sato here as always that sort of, I know it's like, he's sitting right there on my shoulder, like, Hey, take, take 10 more minutes, like take 10 more minutes and enjoy this moment. Right. So. I mean, I think that's, that's such a, one of the messages, right? Our time is limited. Enjoy, embrace, slow down, look around, don't miss it all. All of that. I probably should have asked you at the beginning, which I usually do to just describe your book, but I feel like most people have heard of or will watch or will read or have read your book, but maybe you should do like the one-liner in case everyone's confused since I jumped in to all these 
No, no problem. No problem. So my book is a memoir first and foremost. So, and it is the story of the first three summers that I spent in Sicily with my mother-in-law rebuilding my life after my Italian chef husband passed away. And the, so it is both the love story of my life with my husband and everything that he taught me and what we had and our, our struggles, which were in part with his family initially, because they were rejecting of me, of our relationship. And then later his illness. And so it sort of arcs through that, but as, and then the, the three, those three summers, as I was a newly widowed woman with a daughter, seven years old, and trying to rebuild my life and ask of myself, how do I go forward? Can he, and can the love we had sustain and be a part, like I'm asking all of these deep sort of questions about what does it mean to continue to live when the person who you loved so deeply and who's been, you know, he was with me for half of my life at the time he passed. And so the book is an, is an homage to love and it's an homage to love, both the love of partner, the love of place, the love of food, family, or motherhood, but also a kind of a love for living just living and how we do that and what that can look like. It looked like for me, but I hope that for readers, they take from it a kind of an inspiration to sort of reach for the big loves and reach for deep, big living. That's the thing that I learned from both my my late husband and from my mother-in-law. And it's also about breaking down borders, you know? And I, and what I mean by that is that, you know, that conflict with my mother-in-law and my family, his family, was largely predicated on diversity of culture, race, language, religion. It was sort of all the things. <laughs> and it was like, it was like all the things, right? <laughs> and they were like, no way. This is not for us. This is like not what we signed up for. And what the hell is this? Right. And so I think the book is also an invitation that if we look beyond that and if we have the willingness, right? in our hearts to see our similarities as greater than our differences, not dismissing our differences because our differences are also what makes us rich. You know, my husband's Sicilian family, I didn't know anything about that, but that's a rich culture that I've learned a lot from. Conversely, I have a very rich culture that they have learned a lot from. So it's, it's not an either or it's a yes. And, and it can be additive if people look at it that way, embrace it that way. And so I hope the book also sort of, that's in, that's another current, another thread that's weaving through the book. And, and I've heard that from readers who've read it, who are like, oh my gosh, I see this in my own family. And by the way, you know, it can be two people of the same American culture, but of two different religions, right? <laughs> you can call it another, another ingredient instead of another thread. And yeah, our current. Another ingredient. <laughs> another ingredient. Yeah, it's another ingredient. You are like one of my favorite writers of all time. I swear, I love the way you write and I'm not just saying that. And so I wanted to just Thank read you. a couple of things if I can find them. I dog-eared all the pages. Oh, can I read? Let me read a few things. And you can, He soothes the places. This is about sorrow, but Leto and the 
plate, but anyway. I could see now that sorrow had appeared in my life and almost instantly created form where there had only been space. He soothed the places I hadn't known needed soothing, seemed perfectly willing to embrace the parts of me that were wanton, unsettled, unfinished, and contradictory. Together, we had engaged life as two forks eating off one plate, ready to listen, to love, to look into the darkness, and still see a thin filament of moon. Oh, so beautiful. So beautiful. Wait, I'm going to keep, I have a few more. I have a lot more, but I won't, here, hold on. Oh, I liked how you called it. Oh, here, I'll read this whole, I'm going to mispronounce everything. Lucia returned again and again with heaping plates of strozzapretti with braised red radicchio in a mascarpone sauce, fusilli in a fire-roasted bell pepper sauce, gnocchi with gorgonzola in a white martini reduction with shaved-aged parmigiano. I began to see that sorrow was speaking directly to me. Each dish, an edible love letter, succulent, bold. By the third and fourth courses, I accepted that this chef who wore elf boots was making love to me, and we hadn't so much as kissed. Yeah. Oh, I love that. (laughs) That's... Yeah. yeah. yeah I, it's all I can say is, yeah. And it, 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 it actually, thank you for reading that passage because it, it gifts me back with such joy to just even the memories alone. And I think that's the gift of writing memoir really, you know, and I didn't know that when I set out to write the book, I didn't, I just was like, can I write this? You know, and you know, you were right. You know, it's like you are, the, the essential questions are, can I actually put sentence after sentence, page after page, right? And like hold a story together. So that's really the essential question. And along the way, as these memories, as I was excavating, right? Like our early years together, these beautiful memories came back to me and to capture them. And every time I, when you read that to me, it was like I was right back in Florence again, delighted and in love and seeing the promise of all of that. So exciting to, I mean, thinking about you there and now watching it and reading it and having like these multiple visions and then actually talking to you about it. It's crazy. Okay. We can't bubble wrap our kids to keep them safe, but we can give ourselves some peace of mind now with the Life 360 app, which I am obsessed with. I first heard about this from a girlfriend at a party who told me that this was the app to use. So I got it. And now I am obsessed. It's a family connection and safety app that lets you track the people and things that are most important to you. And it's much more than sharing location. It is about safety. It keeps families connected and protected throughout the day. Plus, it helps you find your things. So I have tiles, one of which I put on my phone, which I lose a 100 times a day, and I can find it through the app whenever I lose it. Also, it lets me put in locations of interest. So I get alerts when my kids reach school after taking the bus or when my husband gets to LA or whoever you want to track. You can do it with Life360 and feel very protected and safe and it makes life better. It makes peace of mind better. Life 360 has my family's back when they're on the road, and I can track their stuff too if I need to. Plus, of course, it's a lifeline during emergencies because you can have crash detection to know if one of the kids is in an accident and with two almost driver's license kids, that is super important to me too. So put away the bubble wrap and protect your loved ones with Life 360. Visit life360.com or download the app today and use code BOOKS, B-O-O-K-S, all caps, to get one month of the gold package for free, plus 15% off all tiles. That's life360.com, code BOOKS. 
You also wrote so beautifully about grief in the most visceral, raw way, which will help anybody who's ever grieved for anyone. And the way you talked about him, you said how sorrow had been your soft landing spot, your constant in the steady stream of rejections. You said, I was in the land of the newly widowed, which felt like floating in the outer rings of Mars while my body was tied to earth. All morning, it had been like having one language in my head while the world spoke another that pierced my ears like hurried gibberish through a scratchy loudspeaker. My senses were jumbled. Sound was a bitter taste stuck to the roof of my mouth, and sight was a rough touch grazed against my eyelids. At ground zero of grief, grief up was down, and down was sideways. I didn't remember where we kept the salt. Holding a knife took effort. I looked down at my feet because I didn't trust the earth underneath me to be there. Nothing, absolutely nothing, makes sense in the known and unknown world except being at home near my bed in Sorrow's kitchen and in the room where we had said our last goodbyes. I tried like hell, I'm going to be honest, I tried like hell to put language around a feeling that I had never felt before. And I tried to put, to articulate for anyone who has never perhaps had that feeling. You will at some point, you live long enough, it's going to, you're going to have it. But I had never been in the inner sanctum of deep, deep grief. And I thought, as I was trying to understand my own grief, I wanted, I hoped that the reader would be taken into that inner sanctum with me. And the only way I could do was to try to picture it and to try to like with as much precision in language as possible to say what this feeling is. And I think many of us, and I wrote this, you know, this book came out before we all had a global pandemic, before we had the systemic collective loss, right? Which doesn't feel the, which is ubiquitous and whether we acknowledge it or not, it's there, it's ever present for us. But for those of us who experienced deep losses, I know you did in the middle of the pandemic, then those words, I hope, there's comfort in acknowledging and naming. That's one of the things I've learned in my life. Like when we can acknowledge something and we can name something, it's comforting. And so I wanted to be a namer. <laughs> I wanted to be a person who could name something. And that was a real challenge for me when I was writing the book. And I was like, I, I did it. And like, what does it feel like? And I literally sometimes would, it felt like sandpaper on the roof of my mouth. You know, it felt like all those things. It was beautiful. It's Thank really you. beautiful. It's practically impossible to capture, but I feel like you did as good a job as, as yeah. could be done with words, with the limitations of words. Let me just see if there was one more. I also, the way you wrote about parenting through grief, I can't find it now, but anyway, the way you wrote about how, the fact that no matter what, you still had to be a mom. And you oh, still yeah. had to cope with all your feelings and deal with your daughter's feelings and get her to school. And, and you had, you know, your stepmother in particular, which was such a lovely relationship that you wrote about. Oh my gosh, who was such a help. But, but just the fact that you can't stop. You, you, kids' needs don't change. They still need everything. They still have unfettered joy in the saddest of moments. And that's just the, the art of being a kid. Yeah, that duality of simultaneous converging griefs in one yes. household, my mine and my daughter's, and then me having to, you know, sort of experience, own, process, attempt to sort of navigate my own feelings while also un understanding hers because I didn't have the experience of childhood grief. I, that's not in my lived experience. I was also just trying to, with curiosity, understand what her world must feel like while being the person who got the lunches ready and like the clothes needed to be washed and 
somehow tend to her little, her heart, you know, and answer the hard questions that I didn't sometimes want to answer, but I had to, I felt like I had to. And, and, and I always say mothering through the depths of grief is one of, perhaps is the hardest part of all of it in a lot of ways for me, because I was, you're doing, and, and those listeners probably can recognize you're doing two things at once, if not more than two emotion. It's a lot of emotional labor and it's tiring. So have the people, I would say, have your people who can help you out. And if you're someone who is near and dear to a grieving parent, fill in, please step up, fill in. It's true. They always say like, don't even ask, just send food, just drop something off, pick up, show up. Don't be afraid that you're overstepping. There is no overstepping in grief. I feel like no one's ever like, oh, she was such a pain when I was grieving. Like nobody ever says that. No, I mean, I had people who literally dropped Tupperware off, like they would drop off the food and then, you know, I'd have all this Tupperware and the part of me in my grief, who was like, I'd be a little bit like, I don't know what to do with all the Tupperware. Like, it's just too much Tupperware. Like somehow that was like a tipping point for me. It was something like, I just couldn't handle that. So someone said, just put it back on your porch. We'll take care of it. And so there was this cycle of like Tupperware would come with food, then the empties would go out, then it would, they would refill and they would go out. And I was like, oh my God. It was just like the trains ran on time. Like the food was handled. The Tupperware was taking, that was such, it gave a little bit of ease inside of the storm. So nice. The way you just have this way with words and analogies. It's really, it's just so, it's really special. It's really amazing. I think I read in the author's note or somewhere that you're doing another memoir about parts of your family and a secret you uncovered or something. Is that right? (laughs) There is a book coming. I do, can't tell you when. <laughs> okay, I don't know yet. It's in the, it's in the emergency, but yeah, that's that's the I'm circling the wagons around that one. Mm-hmm. Did you write so. Did you write it yet, or you're writing it now? Oh, uh, I'm in the process of. Okay. Yeah. Wow. No, it's it's not it's not fully formed. It's very nascent in its coming forward. So. And in the book, you know, you, you track your acting career at the same time. Are you still pursuing that actively? So- yeah. So, you know, I have a, so never have I ever, which many people might know is a, yep. a series on Netflix, wonderful series. So I play the mom of Fabiola in that series. And so we, they just we've wrapped the fourth season, fourth and final season. So I've had the pleasure while I've been working on From Scratch of sort of popping into that series a lot and, and, and showing up. And, and then I'm more producing right now a lot, which isn't to say that I won't act again, but I'm, I'm in the process of producing and perhaps an, a new project. Oh, that's exciting. I know. Awesome. Look, your whole fight, your whole face just lit up. So maybe that's <laughs> what you're really into. <laughs> the way you wrote, and I know I keep I'm like a broken record over here, was really beautiful. And yet in the book, you didn't talk about a, lo- a lifetime love of writing or anything like that. It was about your love of art history and, and acting and different and food and everything. But then here you go, just whipping out this absolutely gorgeous memoir. How did that happen? Oh, that's such a great question. So let me just say, I wrote my all my life, right? So mostly in the form of journals. Like I just was a journaler and that doesn't mean I journal every day. I do not. And my whole months and months might go by and I didn't journal, but I can also say I'm the kind of person who has my journals from when I was 14 years old. Like I have them in my possession. So that tells me a little something about 
a part of me that is somehow seeking to make sense of my lived experience because I'm constantly going back to the page. And usually when something is like amiss or wrong, or I'm mad about something, like I'll go and like, you know, just sort of, you know, vomit it all on the page. But when my husband was diagnosed and you talked about my acting career, when he was diagnosed, what shifted was that I couldn't work as much as I had before because I was his primary caregiver. And I really needed a place to be creative. And I needed a place to explore some of the deep changes and feelings that were going on in my life. And so I signed up for writing classes at UCLA, mostly as a place that I could just, I could write from my home. If I couldn't go on set to act, I was like, oh, I could write at home. So throughout the duration of his illness, I was writing with no ambition of writing a book no ambition of publishing. It was just like, I need to do this for me. I thought maybe I'll make a one woman play. Maybe, you know, it was something like that, right? I was thinking of it from the lens as a performer. And after his passing and time going on, my sister said to me, who is an accomplished novelist, <laughs> award-winning, she said, you should write a book. And I said, what? She said, you should write a book. And she goes, in fact, if you don't write the book, like, I'm not going to talk to you because you need to <laughs> and, like, so, and if you know anything about my sister, you know, that is a, she's hardcore, right? In, in the most beautiful way. But what she was doing was holding space for something I couldn't quite see yet. And I wasn't ready to step into. And so I sat with that for a couple of more years. And then I was ready to write the book. So that's really the, the sort of arc of it. And I really wrote the book thinking, huh okay, well, this will be a new life adventure trying to write a book. And I thought, you know, if 10 people read it, if 50 people, if a hundred people read it, I have done what I needed to do, which is put the story on the page. That was really my primary objective. So that when later on <laughs> it was written and it became a Reese's book club pick and, you know, all the rest and then Netflix and all the things I couldn't, who, who can imagine something like that? And you don't, you don't, you, no one imagines that, right? You just, you write the book that you feel, I said, let me write the best book I can write for now. And so it opened up a creative vessel or channel, I should say, in me writing. And it's something I, ca I can never, I can never close that channel. Like it just has to stay open. And I'm blessed to have found that later in life, right? Who knew? <laughs> it's kind of like a who knew? Yeah. <laughs> So funny. There are all these act, uh, all these authors toiling away, being like, if only I could be a Reese's Book Club pick. And you're like, I'm just going to do this thing on the side. <laughs> well, you know, what was, I, and I, I, in a way, gosh, the blessing of no expectation, right? I had zero. And also, you know, I didn't put a lot of stuff on it. I thought if no, it literally, if I called my publisher, I literally, I think I talked to Christine, my editor. And I was like, when it came, I was like, can we, maybe I made a mistake. Like maybe this shouldn't, it was felt so big and so vulnerable to put it out there. I was terrified of it. I wanted to rescind it. I want to say, yeah, I know take, that take that, whatever. That, <laughs> you, know, you guys gave me like uh, some money, right? I get, like three years ago to start whatever to write this. Like take that back and I'll <laughs> take all those words back and we're good. Like let's call it even, even Steven, right? And because I couldn't, it was never an ambition in that way. I didn't start out thinking like, I want to be a, a complex. I was just like, I just want to write this story. And like, mm -hmm do the best I can with it. And now it feels really scary to share the things that I wrote, but I'm happy. I, she didn't take me up on that offer. I'm happy <laughs> that we're here. 
you know, I've Uh grown a lot. Well, I'm also really happy. This was absolutely beautiful. The show is amazing. And I just feel like when you write about someone you've lost, you're keep you're introducing them to all new people who never had the opportunity to meet them. And in that way, you, you, you know, you don't actually keep them alive, but how, what a gift to have everybody else get to know him and, and to see that beautiful love story that you had and, oh. and to witness the, the sadness, but also the love and how you said that this is part three of your marriage is being the widow of him, of sorrow. It's just absolutely beautiful. And I'm a huge fan. Thank you so much, Zibi. Thank you. And thank you also for articulating it in that way. I do feel like he's been with me throughout this whole experience. He's with me now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's just, it's just beautiful. Love goes on. Do you believe in signs? Oh, absolutely. I could have a whole other podcast about okay. <laughs> reading the signs, like the tea leaves, the signs, the things. And you know what? Why not? I agree. Why not? Totally agree. All right. Tembi, thank you. Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure and honor. Thank you for your work. Thank you for elevating all of these voices. I've been oh. watching you at a distance and I really appreciate the work you do and just elevating voices and writers. And I'm so happy to have been here. Thank you. Oh, that's so nice. Well, hopefully our paths will cross in person one day. That'd be nice. I'd love that. All right. Take, Take care. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 